Hey, I'm so excited to be here. Uh, appreciate the opportunity uh, to come and just share with you. I, I think so much of this family right here. I love the, the rights and have known them a very long time. And uh, I was joking with Gabriel. I was like, I was asking if his dad was going to be here. And he's like, I think he might be out of town. And I was like, good, because Pastor Mike is one of the best preachers that I've ever heard. I mean, really. And so I'm like, I'm not trying to preach in front of him. So uh, anyway, I'm excited to be here. And uh, man, what, a, what an awesome crowd here today. What an awesome presence of the Lord. Uh, I, I want to introduce my family to you really quick. Uh, there they are. Uh, this is me right here. The, the good looking guy right there. That's me. Okay. And so, uh, this is my wife, Tara. Okay. I know what you guys are all thinking right now. Yes, she did marry up. Okay. Uh, man, I, the last time I told that joke, it, it, it missed. You guys are with me. I like it already. I like you people already. So this is my son, Knox. He's here on the front row right here. That's our son, Knox. He's 13 years old. He loves baseball. He loves Jesus. And he does have a girlfriend. And he asked me, he asked me not to say that, but that's why I did it. Son, you have to learn as a PK. You can't tell your dad what not to say because that means they're going to say it. Now, this is my daughter. I'm going to get out of the way. This is my daughter right here. She's about to be eight years old. Her name is Anna, and I need you all to know she needs Jesus. In the worst possible way. Okay, so uh, if nothing else, you can pray for her today. Her name is Anna. That smile right there, it gets her anything she wants all the time, okay? And so uh, that's my family. I wish they could be here today, all of them. But uh, we're, we are excited to be here. Uh, man, I just, I feel like God just wants to speak to us today. I really do. Uh, I was just praying on the way here and just and thinking about our service and our time together today. And uh I mean, I just, I feel like he wants to speak to all of us today. I really do. I think, I think when we leave here, he wants us to feel encouraged, not discouraged. I think he wants us, and we were talking about it a few seconds ago. My, my friend up here on the microphone was talking about that hope uh, and about that, you know, how sometimes we're in the darkness and, and the light comes. I believe that the Lord has sent me here today to remind people and to let people know that there is hope in the circumstance. And maybe today, maybe everything about your situation right now is okay. But it might be somebody in your immediate circle, your family, a relative. Maybe today they're not here, but they are in a rough situation. And God is going to use you to remind them that there is hope in their situation. Uh, and so I don't believe in accidents. I, I know that I'm here for a reason today. And so I want you to know I believe that this is a divine purpose and divine appointment that we all have here together today. I want to read a couple of scriptures to you. I think they've got one they're going to throw up there. Matthew 28 In verse 18, if you grew up in church, this is going to be a a pretty familiar verse to you. Matthew 28 and verse 18. This is what it says. It says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always. To the very end of the age. I love the promise that we have right there. We, we have a commandment. We have an instruction to go and to make disciples. Or in other words to tell people about me. Tell, let them know what I have done for you. Let them know the miracles that you have seen. I'm, I'm, I'm instructing you. He's talking. Jesus is talking to his disciples. and he's, he's telling them go and make other disciples. But I love the promise that he gives us that as you're going, as you're doing this, just remember I'm with you all the way to the very end. Or in other words, 
There's not a circumstance that you're going to endure. There, there's not a, a valley that you're going to enter. I will be, I'll be with you every second, every step of the way. I love that promise that he has. And it's not a suggestion that Jesus is saying to his disciples there. It, it is a commandment that I want you to tell other people about me. And the next verse I want to read to you, and it's, I, I didn't plan on reading this, but I, I, wanted to, I wanted to share it with you. John chapter 13. They're not going to have this one, but it's quick. John chapter 13 and verse 34. I love what Jesus says right here. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So not only as we're going, he tells us to go. He lets us know he's going to be with us. But there's also this, hey, as you're going, as you're doing this, you need to love other people the way that you have seen me love. Now, in our context today, friends, we, we're told by all kind of different sources what love really should look like. But that's not the kind of love Jesus is talking about. He, he's not telling us today to love one another the way the media tells us to love. He's not telling us to love one another the way the, the most recent book author has said to love. He is saying, love other people the way that I have loved you. See, that's a different kind of love. When I am asked to love people the way that Jesus loves me, that's a different kind of love. Because I'm going to be honest with you. I don't like everybody I come in contact with. I don't like the person that cuts me off in traffic. Sometimes I get a little annoyed at the grocery store. Sometimes I have family members that I dodge at every family get-together we have. Uh, you can look at me like you're being all holy. You know you have it too. We all have that crazy uncle, right? We all have that crazy You know, Some of you guys, you're like, well, you know, I don't have that crazy uncle. You are the crazy uncle. You know what I mean? So love one another. It's clearly defined. Go and make disciples. I'm with you every step of the way. And as you're doing this, the best way to make other disciples is to love other people the way that I love you. I love it. See, sometimes as Christians, we, as believers, we always talk about, we, we want to we reach the lost, but so we don't always love the found. We don't always love the found. Sometimes as we're on this journey, we're going to come across people that, they don't look just like us. As we're trying to make disciples, as we're loving the way Jesus has told us to love, sometimes it's going to be a little bit difficult. I've dedicated my entire life to, to, to this promise and to this scripture as someone whose full-time job, so to speak, full-time ministry is to go and tell high school students and middle school students about the hope of Jesus. I've dedicated, I've dedicated my life to chasing underdog students who just need a promise and a hope in their life. I've dedicated my whole life to it. The problem is there's, there's so many problems with, with today's generation. The generation that I am trying to share this hope with. And what's, what's interesting is a lot of the issues and problems that we see, that I see in the, in the field that I'm in, the ministry that I'm in, it, 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 it parallels and resonates with a lot of people even in this room right now. See, a lot of times we talk about the problems teenagers have or the problems that we see in teenagers, but as you get into the weeds of it, as you, 
as you, as you start to understand some of their issues, some of their problems, they got the same problems we do. It just looks a little bit different. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy from them just like it does us. It just looks a little bit different. Because he does come to steal, kill, and destroy. That is his mission in life. But I've dedicated my life to it. And I can just tell you right now, Pastor Gabriel said that we could not do what we do without people like you. We just couldn't do it. I was, um, a few, several years ago, I was at a, at a school in Mobile, Sims Middle School, which at the time was one of the biggest middle schools in the state of Alabama. And they asked me and my team to come in. So this middle school was fifth, sixth, and I think at the time, seventh grade. It was those three grades. And, and we were, I don't know, a few months into the fall semester of a school year. And they reached out to us to come in and, and to do school assemblies for them. Now, when we do a school assembly, we're not talking about Jesus, so to speak. But we are talking about having hope and, and having a future and, and trying to overcome the issues you have in life. And, you know, you don't have to do drugs. And if you're bullied, you know, if you're having, if you're having suicidal thoughts, you know, there, there is a message of hope in a school assembly. And, and that's what we were asked to go and do that. They had had four or five suicides from August until October in a middle school four or five suicides. So they asked us to come in and one of the topics they wanted us to talk about was suicide and depression and things like that. So that's what we did. Huge school. And the way they had to set it up is we were in the gymnasium and that gymnasium would seat 500 people. And what we had to do is because the school was so big first, the first period bell rang and there was 500 students there. When that period ended, the bell would ring all 500 of them would exit this way. And as they exited, another 500 came in from this side. We did it all day long. So first period, 500. They left. Another several hundred come in. Second period, I mean, all day long. They fed us lunch. We, me and another guy, we were alternating, talking to the students on the microphone. When I wasn't speaking, uh, they pulled us behind this little curtain thing, and they had, like, some, uh, some pizza for us. And so we were, like, running back and forth, even during lunch. We, we literally never stopped all day long. The last period of the day... Uh, it was like sixth graders. We did our last assembly of the day. The bell rang and then the day was over with. And we were tired. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of, I don't like to hear myself talk that long. You know, like we were talking all day long. And when that group was leaving, uh, a, a, a teacher was, was coming up to me. And she had a, a little young lady with her. And she said, hey, she would like to talk with you for a second, if that's okay. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. I asked her, oh, what's your name? And she told me her name. And I said, well, I'm glad I can meet you. And she looked at me and she said, I enjoyed, she called it a speech. I enjoyed your speech today. And I said, well, I'm, I'm glad. That night we were going to do a, a, a night rally back at that gymnasium where we were going to talk about Jesus. Like we were, the, the local churches was, was hosting a night event. And I asked her, I said, well, I hope you're coming back tonight to, to be a part of what's going on here tonight. And, and she's like, well, I'm going to try. And, and she's like, well, I just thank you for, for speaking to our school today. And I said, well, you're welcome. She walked off and the teacher, teacher stood behind and she said, that young lady has got a really, really rough story. She said, when school year started a couple months ago, I had to go buy her clothes. I had to go buy her school supplies. I had to go buy her shoes. She literally has nothing. She's in and out of foster homes. She, she, she literally has nothing. She has no family. And I said, well, why does she not have a family? And she said, last year, one year ago, her mom and dad, she had a little brother, her, her mom and dad who was caught up in drugs and alcohol and just always strung out, they got so mad at her little brother, they beat that little boy to death. 
her parents are, were in prison. The little girl was left with nothing, in and out of foster homes, in and out of foster homes. Let me tell you something. A little fifth-grade girl should not have to witness her parents beating her little brother to death. But you know what? In that gym that day, for just a second, in a crowd of 500 students, somebody a little girl didn't know looked out to a crowd and said, you can have hope. If your situation's bad today, you can have hope. You don't have to be depressed. Like She was encouraged that day by a person on the microphone. Something stirred with, inside of her. But I can tell you, friends, this generation, there's so many issues that they have right now. There's so much brokenness that they have right now. But I'm going to tell you something. There's people in your circle. There's people in your family, in your world. They have that same type of brokenness. They may not have, have witnessed someone you know, beating a, a younger sibling to death, but there is a brokenness that, that that thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Maybe he, you have in your own context in this room today that the thief has come to steal and kill and destroy your joy today. And taste, he has sent me here to remind you that his love covers a multitude of sin. This generation has so many issues going on. We see it time after time after time. I want to read something to you that I've, I've found in the Old Testament. Ezekiel chapter 18 is where it comes from. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 1. The, the Lord really spoke to me through this as it relates to just a generation of, of young people and just going through problems. And This is what the Bible says. As the word of the Lord came to me, it says, What do you people mean by quoting... This proverb about the land of Israel, that the fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. For every living soul belongs to me, the father as well as the son. Both alike belong to me. And the soul who sins is the one who will die. Let me explain this to you. When When I read this, I really felt God spoke to me, especially as it relates to trying to reach students and, and, and bring hope to the lost is I love how it says that the fathers eat sour grapes and it sets the children's teeth on edge or, or another translation says it would cause their, their children's mouth to pucker up. And so the, the way I like to, if you ever had something sour before, man, I, I was preaching in a youth group not long ago and this little middle school kid came up to me and he, he handed me a piece of candy unwrapped by the way. Okay, and <laughs> I ain't trying to be, you know, look, I don't want these kids to go to hell, but I know they got germs, you know what I'm saying? So, but before I could think about it, I took that piece of candy. First of all, you should never take a piece of candy from a teenager unwrapped, but a middle schooler, zero chance you should do that. I grabbed that piece of candy, y'all, before I even thought of it, and I popped that thing in my mouth. I'm going to tell you now, I, I, extra crown, extra jewel of the crown doing that, okay, in heaven. So I, when I popped it in, it was the worst, most sour piece of candy that I have ever had. It was awful. It was absolutely terrible. I don't know where that kid got that from. I don't know how old it was. I, I believe it was passed down from generation to generation to generation. But I popped it in my mouth. And I didn't know what to do. But it was so sour. I think it, so it was super sour and also super old. And so I just kind of sat there in my mouth. I was just kind of puckered up a little bit. And he's like, do you like it? And I ain't trying to lie in church, but I did lie in church. I was like, mm-hmm, it's great, man. And he was like, okay, good. He's like, well, if you want some more, I got some more. And I was like, man, I'm good right now. I promise you. I'm all right right now. 
And as soon as that little kid turned his back, I ran to the trash can. I threw that thing away. I, I saw him after service. He's like, hey, you want some more candy? I was like, man, you know what? You better give your youth pastor all that candy. Like, he's, he's with you every day. You know, he, he's investing his life in you, all those kind of things. But it caused my mouth to kind of. I think what Ezekiel in, in, this, in this text, of what's happening is he's asking if there, there's a generation over here that they ate sour grapes, so to speak, or, or it's the sins of this people. Why, why are you saying that, that they ate sour grapes or that, that their sins are, are affecting this generation over here? So if, if we all together were, were on this side of the stage and the generation ahead of us, whether you're 18 or 15 in the room or 88 in the room, we would represent one generation of people in this room today. But all the generations that come before us, if you moved all of them over there, and they ate something sour, but yet we felt the effects of it. What Ezekiel was saying, why, why, are, you, why are you saying that? Why, why, why are you bound, feeling bound by what the generation ahead of you, what they have done, what they did? Or in other words, in our context today, the sins of our forefathers, why are we letting that affect us today? When he says, as surely as the sovereign Lord lives... You will no longer have to quote that proverb in the land of Israel. Now, I come from, uh, I'm, a, I'm a pastor's son. Uh, and so I grew up, I grew up like Pastor Gabriel did. You know, we were PKs. We were joking before service that when we were kids and our dads as pastors had a guest speaker, we knew what that meant, that we were going to Shoney's for lunch, you know. And it, it, if it was a good friend of my dad's, we got really fancy, Going to Olive Garden. I'm gonna tell, I tell my kids, like, look, when I was your age, man, Olive Garden was fancy. I'm talking about the penny loafers, Tommy Hilfiger, Paul, I mean, we're going, we're going all in. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm talking about, you know, I bust out my husky jeans that day, you know. Uh, and so that, that's how we grew up. I, I grew up in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a traditional Christian family environment. My dad was a pastor. We all went to church, obviously. Like, I didn't have a choice to go to church. You know, when I was a youth group, I became a teenager. If a youth pastor had a youth event, I was going to go. Dad, I don't want to go today. Nobody's going. Well, you're going to be there. Why do I have to go? Because you're going to be there. We went, we had this youth event one time. I was the only one that came. They were going to give away prizes. I won every prize. Youth pastor said, congratulations, Ben. You, get, you win it all. I was like, man, this cheap stuff. I don't want no Carmen cassette tape. What you talking about? I'm not going to do with a tape player. You know what I'm saying? A box of Twizzlers? Are you cheap, man? Come on. You know, so like at least give me a Nintendo or something like that. You know, give me some Super Mario Brothers or something. And you can keep these Twizzlers at home. And my man knows what I'm talking about right there, okay? Well, that's how I grew up. But when I was a teenager, when I was about 15, 16, my dad, he, he pulled me aside. He set me down. At that time, I was getting ready to have, get my driver's license. I was playing basketball at our high school. And I was becoming a teenager, becoming a man, so to speak. My dad, he sent me down and he said to me, he goes, son, I know that you've grown up in this home and there's only one thing that you know about this home. But I want to tell you about what my life was like before I met Jesus. Before I met Jesus, son, when your oldest brother, I have a, I have a brother that's 10 years older than me. So when, when my brother was a baby, when he was really little, my parents, I didn't know this at the time. My parents were not Christians at that time. They didn't serve the Lord at that time. I didn't know this either. My dad was a major alcoholic. My grandfather, his dad, died when my dad was nine years old of a brain tumor. 
My dad grew up so bitter at God and bitter at the things of God. All he could think about was this God took my father from me. When my dad was 14 years old, I learned that day in my living room that he started drinking alcohol in his school. He was keeping Jack Daniels alcohol, whiskey in his locker. Between classes, he'd go take a shot of liquor to try to numb the pain. What he told me was, he said, when I married your mom, my world, my life was falling apart. He said, I, I couldn't keep a job because I couldn't stay sober. And I was like, why? I'm, I'm thinking, why are you telling me all this? And he told me, he said, I want you to know where you come from. And now that you're 15, 16 years old, there's going to be things that come up in your life. There's going to be things that you're offered. And I want you to know that I've been down that path. I lived a life of brokenness. I had no hope in my life. The devil, he came and he, he stilled, killed, destroyed everything in my life. Me and your mom, we were on the verge of divorce. He said, it could not have been any worse than it was. He said, alcohol completely ruled my life. He said, what you don't know is, is you have two great uncles that, that they went to this park in Memphis, Tennessee, and they were both drunk and, and, and things got out of hand. One killed the other one, and he put his body, his lifeless body on a park bench. He left his own brother there. Again, I'm 15 years old, friends. I'm sitting in my living room, and I'm wondering, why have you told me all this? He said, I want you to know where you came from. He said, I don't want you to ever forget this. He said, one day, your grandmother, my mom's mom, his mother-in-law, she invited him to go to a little church with her in Memphis, Tennessee. He said, I sat in the back row. He said, I didn't want to be there. He's like, I had not been to church since I was a little boy. He said, but that old Baptist preacher, he got on that stage. And he started talking about how Jesus loves us through our circumstance. How Jesus loves us through our brokenness. And how there's nothing that anybody in that room is struggling with that Jesus can't come and touch that person. He said, I said in that back row, he said, tears filled my eyes. He said, and then that old Baptist preacher said, if you're in this room and you want Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior... He said, I want you to come up here. He said, I got out of my seat. He said, I told the Lord, if you'll help me get through the pain and the brokenness and the hurt in my life, I'll live for you the rest of my life. My dad got up there. He knelt down at that old Baptist church. He said, a couple of old women came around him and prayed with him. He said, when I stood up from that moment at that Baptist church, he said, from that minute on, I never drank again. I never smoked again. I never cussed again. He said, my, my whole world was changed because the blood of Jesus covered me that day. He covered me that day. And he told me, he said, don't ever forget how powerful the blood of Jesus is. It's more powerful than the history of the generations ahead of you. Just like Ezekiel talks about the Lord's, he says, don't, don't quote this proverb anymore about what, what the fathers did, and you're feeling the effects of what the fathers, the generation ahead of you did? He let me know very quickly, the blood of Jesus is more powerful than the bloodline that you came from. It's more powerful. And it took someone loving him. When Jesus says, go make disciples, I'm with you. Love the way that I love my grandmother, his mother-in-law. She loved him in spite of his brokenness. She loved him. She represented Jesus. And at her funeral, he preached her funeral. And he said, I'm here today 
because my mother-in-law loved me the way that Jesus told us to love one another. He said, I wasn't very good to her daughter, but she loved me anyway. She loved me anyway. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for that. My dad said he got called to the ministry. He said, listen, I, I, had, I felt called to the ministry two weeks after I got saved. He said, I had such a filthy, dirty mouth. The first time they asked me to preach, he's like, I'd only been saved a few weeks. Somebody asked me to preach in their church. He said, I told the pastor, I was like, I can't do it. He said, why don't you, why don't you want to preach? He's like, I'm, I'm afraid I might get there and cuss. He's like, that's, that's all I know. And the, the pastor was like, oh, we'll be okay. Just come on anyway. I was like, man, I ain't going to tell you that nowadays. I'm going to tell you that right now. Let me share one more thing with you. I, I you pastored a long time ago. Uh, it helped propel me into what I'm doing now. And that's just telling people about the love of Jesus. Uh, I was youth pastoring and uh, there was a Wednesday night youth service. We met in a gymnasium and I was there for six years. Uh, and in this gymnasium, there was a section uh, of students here and there's a section of students here and there was a middle aisle. And you know how youth ministry is, Pastor Gabriel. It, it's up and down and it, you know, it, it changes. The season that we were in, our youth ministry was pretty large at this time. And uh, we had a lot of good things going, a, a lot of students coming to know Jesus. And uh, I was on a Wednesday night, I was kind of pilling around in our, our youth service before service in our youth facility. And one of my youth leaders, he was a police officer. And he came up to me and he said, hey, look, man, I want to let you know about a situation. Well, that's never something you really want to hear, you know, in, in that context. And so I said, what's going on, man? And he said, well, look, there's a young man here. And he called the young man by name. He said, he's here. He's in the parking lot. And I knew this young man. I knew his name. We're from a pretty small town. So, you know, things kind of travel. Uh, at this time, uh, this young man was probably the most notorious drug dealer in our area. That, that's what he did. He was the most notorious drug dealer in our area. And also, he had just gotten expelled from school, from his high school, uh, because he tried to hit his high school principal. You know, and look, I, man, I'll tell you what, there's a lot of things I did dumb in life. Uh, swinging at my principal, not high on the list, okay? And so uh, this kid, he's trouble. He had terrible reputation. And these days, kid, there were students that uh, they tried to uh, dress. It's not as popular anymore, but in those days, they, they would dress in all black. That was kind of a statement they would make. They would dress in all black, and they would dye their hair black, and they would paint their fingernails black, and that, that's kind of that's what he looked like. So to give you a visual, that, that's what he looked like. He's 16 years old, and, and he, would, he came in dressed all black. So my youth leader, the police officer, he's asking me. He's like, man, what do you want to do? He's like, this, this kid's trouble. So I kind of sat there for a second. I was like, well, do you think he's here for like a drug deal or something like that? And he's like, I mean, I really don't. I don't think he is. I said, well, you think he's here to like to fight somebody? He's like, no. I said, well, what did he do when he came in? He's like, man, he just came in. He sat in the very back row. He just sat there. So I sat there for, I, I did what any good youth pastor would do. Let's let him stay. You know what I'm saying? It's like, Let's let him stay tonight. But friends, I'm going to tell you something right now. I decided right then I was going to preach the best salvation message that you have ever heard in your life. I'm talking about like Easter Sunday type of message. I'm like, we're, whatever I had decided I was going to preach, we're not doing that today. So I get up there, man, I'm telling y'all, I'm preaching about the cross. I'm, I'm the, the, I become the tomb. Like the tomb got rolled away. Like I'm talking Easter Sunday. I'm preaching hard. I'm going all, I'm like, I'm going to get this boy saved to, it's my mission in life tonight. He is going to come to know Jesus tonight. And I mean, I'm, so I'm just going all in. 
very end of service. Hey, if you want to receive Jesus tonight, I want you to raise your hand in this place. Hands went up everywhere. I mean, everywhere, everywhere. I look back, half my band, they have their hand raised. I look over at my drummer, he has his hand raised. I'm like, son, no wonder you can't keep a beat. You're not even saved back there. Like, man, what is the problem? Everybody has their hand raised, but he did not. You guys you go ahead and you're not going to bother me at all. He, had, no, he did not have his hand raised back there. And I'm like, maybe he didn't hear me. Let me try this again. Hey, if you need Jesus tonight, you know, like, raise your hand. He didn't budge. Maybe he speaks Spanish. Hablo Espanol. Jesus. No, I didn't go there. He did not budge. He would not budge. Fortunately, we had about 80 teenagers come to know Jesus that night. My drummer, my bass player, everybody. Youth leaders. Oh, this is awesome. Well, I thought to myself, I'll get that kid next week. I'll get him next week. He was back the next week. I talked to him after service. I said, hey, man, my name's Pastor Ben. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. When he came in, he would have soup, like really bags under his eyes. He was on so much drugs. He, he, he was like into heroin and cocaine, things like that. And he would have these really bags under. He's just frail. He was as white as he could be. He was just super pale and frail. And so week two, he was back. Same seat right there to my, to my right facing the gymnasium. Very back row. I did it again. If you're here tonight and you want to receive Jesus... I want you to raise your hand. Nothing. I mean, he just stone-faced. He came a few weeks. They called me one night, late at night. His parents had heard I was, he had come into church. They called me really late one night and they said, hey, can you come to the hospital? He's tried to kill himself. They're pumping, his, they're pumping pills out of his stomach. I drove to the hospital, pumping pills out of his stomach. Two weeks later, he's back again. I mean, he just sits there, sits there. And he comes up to me after he'd been coming five Sundays, five Wednesdays, something like that. He comes up to me and says, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to be back anymore. I said, why are you not going to be back? He's like, because I don't even believe in God. I just heard about y'all. I heard y'all were crazy. So I just can't. Y'all are crazy around here. He's like, I just came to check y'all out. And uh, I'm not going to be back. He said, well, I'm an atheist. And I blew his mind when I said, it's okay, you can keep coming. And he said, you mean, even though I don't believe in the God that you preach about, you're okay with me coming? I was like, absolutely. He said, okay, that's fine. I'll see you next Wednesday. All I was trying to do was love like Jesus. That's all I was trying to do. So he was back the next week. The next Wednesday night, a mom came through the back doors of our gymnasium. You know, you guys don't understand this because you, Y'all haven't been youth pastors, whatever, most of you, probably all of you. But there is a look that an upset mom has at a youth pastor. There, there is a walk that they have. There's a look and there's a walk. And I saw her come down in the gymnasium, and I literally thought to myself, well, here we go. I mean, she's just, I'm like, Ugh. She comes up to me. I heard so-and-so has been coming here. Yes, ma'am, she, he has. Are you going to let him come? I said, yes, ma'am, I planned on it. You know he hit his principal. I said, well, I think he tried to hit his principal. It's, it's a matter of you know, wording, but I don't think he actually hit him. You know he does drugs. Yes, ma'am. You know he sells drugs. Yes, ma'am. Did you say he dresses in all black? Yes, ma'am. And you're going to let him, Why are you going to let him come? And I just paused for a second. I thought the only response I could get to this mom was this. 
Because as long as I'm youth pastor here, whosoever will, we're going to let him come. If he ain't here with a dilemma, the blood of Jesus reaches this kid too. He, it's, matter of fact, my goal is to have a whole gymnasium full of kids like that. If you want something else, you got the wrong person, I can just tell you. And this was a deacon's wife, and <laughs> come on, you know. I'm going to tell you something. I, I do a whole lot better with the loss than I do church kids sometimes. And my kid is one of church kids. I'm just, well, my kid won't be back. And he wasn't. A couple weeks later, y'all, and I, I'm going to wrap in just a second. I want to share this on purpose. A couple weeks later, there was a Wednesday night that everything that could go wrong did. It was the worst youth service we have ever had. Um, and I remember the night so vividly and so clearly. It just was bad. Everything was bad. And sometimes you preach a sermon that looks really good on paper, and then when you preach it, it's really bad. It was one of those nights. I remember this night because uh, Pastor Gabriel mentioned I'm a Tennessee Vols fan. I also grew up a Laker fan. And the Lakers that night were going to play the Celtics. And tip-off was at like 9 o'clock that night. And I knew if I can push everybody out of the gym and we lock up, I will make, I'll make tip-off. I'll watch that game. And these were like both teams were great back then. So my, my agenda halfway through service was, this is awful. This is terrible. So I'm going to push everybody out. I'm going to go home. I'm going to order a pizza or two. And I'm going to watch the Lakers play the Celtics. And I'm going to end the night on a good night. Well, sure enough, I'm getting ready to close service. And we had a, a, a house full that night. And I felt God speak to me and say, tonight is the night for that young man. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I'll say something really dumb to God. Lord, I don't know if you heard my message a month or so ago when I preached that Easter Sunday type message. It was good. He didn't budge. Tonight is the night. So I was obedient. I said, hey, before we leave tonight, if you're here and you need and want to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to raise your hand. Nobody in the entire gymnasium budged, which you have to know this. When you're talking to teenagers... Usually somebody's going to budge, but nobody did. Nobody except for one, one kid on the back row to my right. I saw his hand go up real slow. I saw a white bony frail hand and it was shaking just like this right here. And even as I tell the story, I see it in my head. Then I feel like the Lord spoke to me and say, call him forward. And I was like, Lord, he ain't going to come forward. I don't know if you know that. Did you know he hit his principal? I mean, he swung. He didn't hit him. He swung at him. Call him forward. If you have your hand raised, I want you to come forward and meet me. The kid gets out of his seat. He walks down the middle aisle. As he walked towards me, I came to the edge of the stage like this. As he walked, I remember his shoulders were shaking because he was crying so hard. I put my hand out when he came up to me. He put his hand in my hand and I said, son, are you finally ready to receive Jesus in your life? And he said through the tears, yes, sir, I am. I leaned my, my mouth down to his ear. I said, let's pray a prayer. We prayed a prayer together. When we said, amen. He looked at me as the Lord is my witness. The kid looked different. His countenance was different. Everything about him was different. The bags under his eyes were not. I'm, I'm telling you, the kid looked completely different. He looks at me and he says, can I say something in the microphone? 
And all I can think is, dude, I'm glad you're saved, but you've been a Christian for like five seconds. You ain't ready to be Billy Graham just yet, son. Then I feel like the Lord said, let the boy speak. And I was like, this is not my night. I'm having a rough night here. I, ha- I put the microphone to the kid's face. And I said, away from the mic, I said, keep it clean, son. That's, I, that's all I knew to say. He looks at the crowd. And he tells the crowd, I've been coming here. I didn't believe in God. I've been on every drug you can imagine. But what I felt tonight... What I felt in my heart and in my life tonight, I can't sit here and deny God's existence. Because what I feel right now is better than any drug trip I've ever had. I know God is real because I know the love that I feel in my heart that I've never felt before. He's telling the people this. Then he says this. If you're here tonight and you want the same love, you need to come down here. Kids get out of their They're coming down. This kid's giving an altar call in my youth service. And kids come down. Not only did he make a decision that night, but he went on a journey with Jesus. He brought all his other friends. He, be, he went from the, the drug dealer in town he became our acoustic guitar player in our band. You remember the mom that left? She came back. She apologized. Won't he do it? Listen, that's what happens when we love like Jesus. You know, when he says, go make disciples, I'm with you. I'm on the journey with you. We have to love one another. You have to love people the way that I love you. When we do that, people come to know him. You know what I mean? And so I'm going to pray with you in a second, and I'm going to pass it off to Pastor Gabriel. But you might be here today, and you might need this. You, you really might. You might be a teenager in the room or an adult in the room, and you say, man, I've come here tonight, and the same Jesus that you talked to that kid about, I need that same Jesus today. So that's the first question I'm going to ask in just a second. After that, I'm going to ask, because I want to pray right where you're seated today. I want to pray for people that you have a close loved one. It might be a husband, a wife, a mom, a dad, a son, or a daughter, that they're away from Jesus, and they're living a broken life right now, and the Lord has sent me here today to remind you that His blood will reach them as well. We just got to continue to love like Him. Today, we're going we're to pray for those people. We're going to pray for the lost husband. We're going to pray for the lost daughter. Whatever it is in your context, in your family, that someone's lost and away from him. So right now, really quick, can I just ask you to close your eyes across this place? And now I want to make this a brief. And I don't want to embarrass anybody, of course. But man, I can't. I just know that God sent me here today to remind people how much he loves them. And if you're here today, you've heard a few stories about people that were broken and lost and, and, and needing Jesus in their life. I'm going to tell you something. My dad, if he was here today, he would say the best decision I ever made. That kid in the youth service that night, he still serves the Lord today. If he was here today, he would take this microphone. He would say, I made the best decision I ever made that night. So really quick, if you're here and you say, Ben, man, I I need Jesus in my life today. I need him. I've come in here. I'm broken. I'm lost. I'm hurting. And and today I need him. If that's you, will you raise your hand just re- just really quick? Just really quick. I, I need him today. Up and right. Just make sure I see you. Thank you. I see you. Thank you. You can put it back down. Anybody else really quick? Anybody else really quick? Yeah, I see you. Thank you. There's there's two or three. 
Anybody else really quick? I, I, I need Jesus today. Thank you. I see you. Here's what I want to do. I want you to keep your eyes closed. And I'm going to ask that Pastor Gabriel, maybe a couple of prayer workers can be down to my right. If you raise your hand, would you, would you meet Pastor Gabriel right over here? Would you get out of your seat and let him, and let him pray with you as you're coming? If you raise your hand, would you just come and let him pray with you? Uh, don't let this moment pass you by if you raise your hand. Would you get out of your seat and just come and, and let him pray with you really quick? We're going to pray together corporately, but in just a second, I do want you to pray with him as well. Here's what I want to do right now. If you're in the room, I want you to re- every, let's all repeat this prayer after me. Dear Jesus, I thank you for today. For this opportunity. And I ask you. To forgive me of my sins. I thank you. For dying on a cross for me. And giving me hope. And giving me life. And from this day. I want to live for you. In Jesus name. Still with your heads bowed and your eyes closed. You two or three that raised your hand and prayed that prayer. Please make sure you see Pastor Gabriel when this service is concluding or, or one of the prayer team, just so they can minister to you and help follow up with you. And you're, this is not the end. This is the beginning of a journey. So it's very important that you have accountability. So don't let this moment pass by from embarrassment or anything like that, okay? So make sure you see him. Last question I want to I do and pray for you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass it off, is if you're here today, and there is someone that's very dear to your heart. What I sense in my heart and, and just from the leading of the Holy Spirit is this is maybe a, fa- a close family member, a son, a daughter that you say, man, Ben, today, I'm, I'm okay today. I love Jesus today. I'm following him. But there, there is someone very close with me. Even as you spoke, I, I, I continue to think about them and my, my heart is broken for them. It might be a sister or brother. And, and today I want to pray. I want to pray for that person. And I want to agree with you in prayer today. They even where they are today would feel his love and his mercy in their life. But if that's you and you say, I have someone that I want to pray about today. Would you raise your hand right now really quick? Yeah, lots of hands. Just someone dear to my heart. Just keep it raised just for a second. Just as an act of surrender as well. Just keep it raised. Come, I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to pray with me as well. Dear Lord, I pray right now for every hand that's raised. I don't know every situation. I don't have to know, Lord. You know and you see. But, Lord, we pray today for the person that's praying for their spouse. Lord, we, we pray today for the person that's praying for a son or a daughter or a mom or a dad, Lord. Help us to continue to love the way that you love, Lord. Lord, help us not to grow impatient. Help us not to give up hope. Lord, help us today represent you to the person that we're praying for. Lord, we, we do pray for the ones that that we have our hand raised for, Lord, that even where they are today, that they would feel your love and your mercy. Lord, that whether they're at home right now, at a restaurant right now, wherever they may be, but they would feel your supernatural tug at their heart right now. Lord, give us an opportunity even today to share what you have done and what you're nudging us to do, Lord. We do pray for them, God. Lord, we don't want to give up hope on what you can do in their life. So today we leave here encouraged by what you're going to do. And we give you thanks in advance, Lord. We thank you for moving in their life. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for what you have done in this room today. We thank you for the two or three, Lord, that has given their life to you, Lord. I pray for anybody here who may be suffering with depression and anxiety, Lord. We speak to that, God, today. 
Lord, that they would give complete control of that to you and never put it back, never pick it back up, Lord. We pray these things in your name. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Come on, would you guys give God a big hand clap of praise right now in this room? Amen. Amen.